Welcome to What Happened Next, a podcast about newish books. My name is Nathan Whitlock, and I'm a writer. On this podcast, I speak to other writers about what happens when their new book is no longer new, and it's time to write another one. Before I introduce my guest, I wanted to let you know that I have a book that is not just newish, it's actually brand new. It's a novel called Lump, and it's published by the Rare Machines imprint at Dundurn Press. It's my third novel. I've read it, and it's good. If you'd rather not take my word for it, the Toronto Star has called Lump one of the must-read, hands-down best books of 2023 so far. You can find out more about Lump at nathanwhitlock.ca. My guest on this episode is Sheila Murray. Sheila's short fiction has been published in many literary journals, including Descant, the Dalhousie Review, and the New Quarterly. Murray is a longtime advocate for social justice and currently leads a grassroots, volunteer-driven initiative that engages urban residents in adapting to local climate change impacts. Sheila's first novel, Finding Edward, was published in 2022 by Cormorant Books. Finding Edward has been shortlisted for a Governor General's Literary Award, longlisted for Canada Reads, and was selected as the One Book, One Aurora book for 2023. The novel is also a finalist for the 2023 Toronto Book Award, the winner of which will be announced at a ceremony on October 10th. The Globe and Mail, in choosing Finding Edward as one of its best books of 2022, wrote that the novel is, quote, a beautiful tale told with deep humanity, so raw and real, it could only be written from the soul. Sheila and I talk about her extensive advocacy and community work, about how she says yes to every invitation to read or speak as a writer, knowing it all could go away one day, and about how, despite the ongoing success of her first novel, she's not getting approached by big-time agents and editors at multinational publishers, and why she's kind of okay with that. I also take the opportunity to ask Sheila about her go-to karaoke song. You were kind enough and generous enough uh, earlier this year to be a part of the uh, the first ever Sharp Words book fair here in Hamilton, where we both live. And I had organized the evening part of that, and I put together a, a house band, which is now called The Approximators, and you performed with the band, and in fact, um, with a number of other writers, and you performed, uh, and you got to choose your own songs, and we learned them, and you came up, and you did a great job, and it was amazing, and we're still trying to get you back <laughs> on stage with us. My question was, uh, well, first of all, it's it's incredibly brave to have done that. So I, I, we're, we're so thankful that you did that. And it was, it was incredible. What was extra brave and interesting was the song you picked, which was Obla Di Obla Da by the Beatles. And one of the reasons I found it uh, interesting and, and brave is that you do have uh, like a, a Jamaican background through your family, you have Jamaican heritage. And yet the song you pick was this sort of fake, <laughs> fake uh, ska <laughs> song by these four white British guys singing very just on the edge of doing a Jamaican <laughs> accent. So it's it's not quite offensive, but it's just putting a toe <laughs> towards the line. 
Why, yeah. why that song in particular? Was that a, a childhood favorite? Yeah, or it... yeah. So look, I I grew up in England, so mm-hmm. you know, I grew the, and the Beatles were my time. That was my era. Um, and in fact, I remember going to to see Hard Hard Days Night at the at the movie theater and couldn't hear a thing because the kids were Just screaming so <laughs> loud. Um, so that was that was my time. Um, so I I know that song from then. It's such an easy song. It's True. a cheerful song, but I take your point, all of it about the sort of scar piece. And apparently I've I've since read that um, John and George hated that song. Mm. And Paul, it was Paul's uh, baby. He was the one who insisted on on going with it. And and he and it certainly was a nod to sort of scar. Um, so, yes, I, I take everything you've said. But, <laughs> but on the other hand, what a cheerful song. Everybody knows it. Or if they don't, they learn it in about two minutes. Or, or less, hopefully, because I think yeah. it was a three-minute song. So what I was doing was choosing a very familiar, very easy to sing, uh, short song that um, would be over and done with, and hopefully people <laughs> in the audience would drown me out as I sang it. <laughs> so, yeah, I am not a karaoke singer. It was uh, it was quite a big event for me, and uh, and uh, and. Uh, I will do it again. Let me, absolutely uh, yes. will. When, I will hold you to that. Yes, I know you will. So uh, <laughs> it's now it's been said, but it won't be. It won't be obladi obladi this Okay. Time. <laughs> I was just always concerned that there might be like distant relatives from Jamaica or or past, <laughs> you know, ancestors going. What are you, Sheila? What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, you know, my my first thought was to do was to actually do a scar. There's a song I love called. Um, enjoy yourself which was done by the specials and oh, uh, and others one. i mean it, yeah. it's just such a great song but i i really you know uh it's by comparison complicated again <laughs> right. over the simple simple little song it worked and it was it was absolutely charming it was just right. I, I do remember having that twinge of like huh it's an interesting <laughs> choice okay no, you're right you're right <laughs> Speaking of making uh, interesting sort of uh, uh, left turns in your in your choices, um, you're actually on this call as uh, on the crew account uh, because this is an organization that you uh, founded that you've you've run since for for many years, mm-hmm. uh, I believe, uh, and this is the Community Resilience to Extreme Weather uh, yes. organization. Um, this is some this is the work that you do. You've been doing this kind of social work, this kind of outreach work for, for years. I was also reading about a project that you worked on called smart saver. Is that correct? Yes. Which is all about um, working, creating the means where lower income families can, can save for post-education, post-secondary education. Yeah. In fact, that was, that was very much about the fact that the government has this, you know, and anyone with kids knows, or or not everyone, but lots of people do know about um, registered education savings plans. So if you have kids and you have one of those, those accounts, you can uh, put your own money in and the government will match money. Um, but in fact, uh, depending on your income level, uh, if you don't have any money, the government will put money in, and then mm. matching comes after you know after after you've reached a certain limit. Um, so, in other words, it's free money for right. lower income families for their children's education. And then the other piece that goes with that is that um, 
um, all the studies tell us that once a kid knows um, he, she, they have uh, an account that is dedicated and directed to their post-secondary education, they are way more likely to get to some sort of post-secondary education. Mm. And in fact, you know, if you've if you've sort of been able to make little contributions, the government keeps keeps matching. Um, there's an there's money sitting there ready to be used for that. So what's a kid going to do at a certain point, especially if they're sort of, you know, uh, looking around for for a, a, a future? Uh, why not try? Why not try? You know, a photography class at uh, at one of the colleges or or whatever. So it it was it was all about this huge amount of government funding directed to RESPs that they didn't advertise so hmm. so few people knew about it and our little team um, worked very hard at, at making it really accessible and and it wasn't easy <laughs> community <laughs> engagement is not easy giving away free money believe it or not was quite challenging but <laughs> uh, but they but we did a good job and then I left and they carried on and I think I they signed agreements with all of the big banks and free money keeps keeps going out I I hope I, I trust it does it all does very well it does a good job and then the and then the um the community resilience to extreme weather piece comes uh um sort of after having had that experience sort of learned how that kind of community engagement work um uh, can be and how rewarding it can be. Uh, mm -hmm. um, thinking about climate change, which I've done for a long time, um, and understanding that uh, climate impacts are, you know, even then when I when we started crew, it, it was 2014, and even then um, we've been hit in Toronto by uh, a huge ice storm, by uh, major flooding. Uh, those were uh, sort of you know, one of the earlier in our faces climate impacts. Mm -hmm. And we just thought this is a really good time to sort of try and communicate, um, you know, the fact that it's not, no, it's not far away. It's actually right here and it's accelerating. We've learned that, you know, that's so apparent now. Um, I don't think anybody would argue uh, that, that climate impacts aren't with us now. And, um, and so, uh, and so we we put this little organization together to try and try and work around that with again with with lower income, uh, you know, often racialized uh, folk living in high rises, mostly uh, you know very diverse uh, populations. So that's saying an awful lot about about no, that it's... stuff. But it's um it's been uh, it's been um it's been very interesting. I don't do a lot of the sort of real on the ground engagement work anymore. Um, I spent a lot of time writing grants and having Zoom meetings, um, but uh, we're at a very interesting moment because because so much attention is is uh, on this now. In a way, it, it, you know, this is the really the first first year and a half, two years of people really looking very directly at that and this and saying we have to adapt. Do you ever have a moment? You know. You're, you're you're such an incredibly generous and and empathetic person but do you ever have that moment with all this new attention to the the impact of of climate change especially on people who are unhoused or lower income mm -hmm. or racialized where you just want to say you see <laughs> i've been mm -hmm. saying this for a you know more than a decade yeah you know it's like welcome it's like aboard the, exactly <laughs> it's like the the covid thing right so covid we went through those those that first year of COVID, and everybody was saying, "Wow, um, people are, are um, 
disproportionately affected by this. There are people who have to go to work on a bus and live in crowded, you know, living spaces and and uh, and suddenly they were being revealed uh, mm -hmm. as though they had never, <laughs> you know, been in these positions. And they and they got bonus money for going to work for about five minutes. And uh, right. and they were applauded, you know, and um, uh, literally by by people on the doorsteps. And then all of that ended. And I, and I, I gather from what I'm reading now that um, um, there's a lot less uh, in in terms of um, any sort of uh, empathy or, or generosity um, toward, to, <laughs> to, uh, you know, uh, among each other now. Apparently, mm -hmm. people have backed off on their charitable giving. They've, I mean, we're we're in a we're in tight squeeze uh, um, financially, lots of us. But but there's been a real pullback, you know, even in volunteering time and so on. So we've become a different sort of society. It's very strange. I can't, it's, you know, I look, I, I want to be around 10, 15 years from now when somebody writes a definitive sort of look back at what COVID did to us. And, um, mm -hmm. and I think it's going to be quite profound. And then the scary thing, of course, is that they all keep saying there's another pandemic coming. Yeah. So, yeah. I, uh, I, I was uncharacteristically out and about a lot in the last couple of weeks and was not shocked, but I noted the the high number of masks I was seeing yeah, and the number of places I was going where they were like, please, can you put a mask on? And, and of course, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Although I'm now at the point where I don't have one in my back pocket all the time anymore. I've kind of gotten out of the habit. Yeah. Yeah. But I was noting it wherever I was going. I was like, oh, it's, it's, it's creeping back. back. It's yeah. creeping back. Yeah. yeah. And and I worry about the the counter reaction that's mm -hmm. that's already kind of begun the, to that. that. Yeah, that has been sort of bubbling and cooking away over all this time, and they they must but there must be a lot of people very ready to yeah um, stand up against uh, all of all of this and um, and fight for our freedom. Yeah, <laughs> big quotation marks. <laughs> Yeah. Well, let's talk about something a little more cheerful. Yeah. Um, which is that I, again, you've you've done so much, and you are doing so much really important community work and social work, and you've you've touched all these people's lives and all these families' lives, and all these the you know the you've improved these communities through all of your work directly and indirectly. Why I just, anyone... I just, I just have to say, hearing you say that, <laughs> okay, I'm not so sure. I don't know how much, you know, I don't know at the end of the day how many I think people you're we reach, modest. how many people we touch. That's very kind of you. Uh, I, I think, so. I think you I need to, so. I think you need to have your like, it's a wonderful life moment where an angel <laughs> comes and shows you your life. <laughs> I'd like that. That would be okay. That would be fun. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, that angel was very Clarence was very charming. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I do have to ask, why mm -hmm. would someone doing such important work mm. and 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 such, I would imagine, frustrating but also rewarding work, why would that kind of person want to get into the business of writing novels? <laughs> <laughs> well, where you did know, that switch come from? Um, it's it's not really you know sort of um, I was writing before I got into that mm -hmm. kind of work. So You're doing a lot of short stories. And... I did I did short stories. I didn't do tons, but I but I certainly have published a few, 
and uh, I, I, I didn't, I did take um, two writing sort of um, um, writing courses, um, um, not not in a university setting, but po what I'm just trying to think what it's called, but um, the stuff that you do in the evening when you're an older person, you go to yeah, school like and a, you take a class. Right, right. Yeah, there's a name, there's a there's sort a of an adult education or continuing that, education. Continuing, yeah. yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. yeah. So, so I did a couple of uh, writing courses, um, uh, but I've been writing prior to that, and uh, and I love writing. I think, um, uh, but I'd never. Um, somebody did say to me once in in one of those courses then. Um, she's become a friend but uh at the time she was my teacher and she said you know you could make um a writing life if you chose to do that and i i heard her uh but it didn't occur to me for a minute that i really could do that and i didn't really understand either what what that would mean what a writing life was i never imagined at that time that i'd, I'd write a novel i mean that seems more like a writing life kind of trajectory mm -hmm. than short stories which are you know, which are, are wonderful to write and they, they do get published, but they get published in literary journals where very few people see them. So, um, so that's a different kind of experience. Um, but I was, uh, I made, I was in the film, I did some film work for years, uh, sound editing and, and film production work. And, you know, that's all about storytelling. Um, um, and so, uh, so I felt that I had my storytelling chops were, were pretty good when I started to write the novel. I thought I could tell a good story. Um, so, so not such a, not a switch really. The, the community stuff has come, come up in the middle right. of it all. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's, it's not as if finding Edward is like a sexy beach novel, you know, mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. young people running around having romances at in some resort somewhere and maybe no. there's some maybe there's a murder they have to solve like it's <laughs> it's not a it's not like a a light beach read it very much connects with all of the work that you do yeah yeah and also with your own studies i mean you have uh you studied immigration and settlement studies uh -huh. you studied journalism and i feel yeah. like both of those play into the book because it's very much about immigration and settlement, yeah. but also involves a kind of personal journalism. Yeah. Um, did you feel that yourself kind of pulling out all of that education when you were working on it? Did you feel those connections or was it only it, later you're like, oh, I see what I was doing? No, I very, very was very conscious of them as they sort of came came to play. And I I um. And I think one of the amazing things that happens as you, I'm sure it happens for all of us, as we get older uh, and I've had a sort of a huge range of ex different experiences, but I've done a number of different things. And and the, the, it's just kind of wonderful to see how they all fit together. You know, they all sort mm -hmm. of click into place and they're all useful and purposeful uh, in whatever it is that that uh, that we end up doing for however long we we do it. So I guess the same that's got to be true too for for writing that that novel particularly i think um is a it, you know certainly um uh you know immigration and settlement studies was a large part of it uh you know i learned i'd learned so much about so many people's sort of um entry into canada so much about canada's sort of exclusionary policies the way that mm -hmm. the you know government worked to keep people out the way people got in anyway the the things that people sort of accomplished that were 
never really um, recognized and applauded. I mean, all of that stuff that was a fairly, you know, was one of those, one of those, uh, it was an, a master's degree at Ryerson, what was Ryerson at that time. And it was a multidisciplinary um, um, uh, program. And uh, at the sort of place where, and this is back in 20, 2009, 2008, nine, I think I did this, uh, where we were asked that question, you know, what is your, your social location? You know, where do you, as you, as you begin to speak to people, tell them who you are. And it, and that, you know, I think we hear a lot more about that now, but at that time it was very challenging. So, um, you know, it's, it's that is about, you know, what we now call privilege. We all kind of use privilege very, very uh, readily. I'm mm -hmm. not sure that we really think about what it, what it, what it means uh, and what its impacts are, but we do use it. But at that time that was sort of relatively um, uh, for, for a classroom of, you know, I was, a, I was a mature student. So a lot of people were a lot younger and it was, it was difficult stuff to stand up and say, I am, I am these things. I am, you know, I am the sort of culmination of my history with this, you know, being born in this neighborhood, mm -hmm. having a family with a certain amount of affluence or not, and so on and so forth. I, you know, just listening this morning to um, The Current and Matt Galloway talking to a guy who's doing a podcast about class and mm -hmm. asking that question, uh, he talks, and the, and the sort of, um, context for this is that we we don't talk about class in Canada and I think that's that's so true but this oh, suddenly is yeah. it's sort of popped up as a brand new thought that um, yeah. indeed we have class here and I've always coming from England very conscious of it mm -hmm. um, and also very familiar with the sort of Canadian take on it which is we don't have we don't have classes people talk about you know how it's obvious in England. There's never, you know, you can't, you can't hide. It's hard to hide your class there. But, um, but here it's very Canada, particularly very sort of hidden in, um, in the back rooms of you know clubs with where power is brokered. And I and I and I've encountered some of that. So, uh, so I yeah, it's I, yeah, it's we don't talk about money and we don't talk about class. With the just right. sort of. And somehow we figure that will settle the discussion. It, it just works out that way yeah. as opposed to like making things worse. Yeah. And of course, yeah. one of the the small historical ironies that you were having all these discussions and engaging with all these ideas at an institution that was then called Ryerson. That's right. <laughs> named after <laughs> someone who, you know, again, yeah. we, we spent a long time celebrating. Yeah. Uh, when really it was very much part of that discussion of maybe our history isn't exactly mm -hmm. what we've been telling ourselves mm -hmm. which may, yeah exactly I, what your book is about yeah and maybe yeah maybe there are other peoples i mean in the case of, of ryerson you know maybe uh there are other names who could be celebrated that could be mm -hmm. celebrated and there's lots of choice of course i you know imagine the the conversations about that were you know went were pretty intense but um anyway they came up with something good didn't they metropolitan toronto university that yeah. works. that's pretty bland <laughs> yeah that that seems like a a uh like a, a pr person came up with that I'm like this yeah. this one can't be in trouble yeah, this one will never right. be controversial exactly yeah. exactly yeah 
Yeah. Well, you did make that shift and and you made the shift from I mean, again, you're still doing all this this great work, mm -hmm. but you did publish uh, Finding Edward. And, you know, I actually believe that, you know, some of the best first novels are published with independent publishers. Mm. But in the culture, in the sort of marketplace, mm. a literary novel with that with serious intent, again, not a sexy beach read with mm. mysteries and bikinis or so forth but a serious literary it novel does have sex in it by the way i just it want does. to point I know, that out yes, to anyone but, yeah. listening it's, that's 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 some pretty well maybe not so steamy <laughs> stuff in it <laughs> you're positioning it as a beach read as the next, the next big summer read <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know the reality is and i'm in this reality too that you know literary novels published with independent publishers people don't tend to sort of go out and book hockey arenas for the author tour when they come out <laughs> and yet finding edward has found an enormous amount of success and mm. it's it's continuing success i mean it has the gg nomination the mm. city of book award city of toronto book award have you found now that you're in this period mm. book came out about a year ago mm. where you're working on something new i would presume mm -hmm. yes is is it first of all are you finding that continuing success that it keeps kind of popping up onto awards lists mm -hmm. is it looming over you in a way where you're like mm. i want i want to kind of move on to something else and this is or is it is it still kind of powering you oh it's just it's been so great i can honestly oh, it's say lovely. yeah i had i had no expectations coming into this um yes i'm with a i'm with a you know relatively small publisher small but mighty they've been around i think for at least um i'm, I'm gonna get this horribly wrong but over 25 years i think mm -hmm. uh, this Cormor would be cormorant books yeah yeah and um and so uh you know and i've learned so much about the book business uh obviously since the book was published <laughs> all about um the challenges that small presses uh face uh up against the sort of you know the the mega the mega people like uh random uh penguin random house and all of those knopf and so on they're just huge um uh people uh publishers in this in this space and it's and it's tough it's a really tough business uh and i feel um so lucky really to have been noticed um and mark my editor editor publisher at cormorant would say well you wrote a good book uh <laughs> you wrote a really good book but it, but i i know there are lots of really good books uh being published every year and and um and there's got to be an element of luck uh to that to that sort of first notice and i you know and if it's if it's good out of the gate if what if that first sort of acknowledgement is good out of the gate then maybe that's what propels it along i think that's what happened with finding edward i think donna bailey the nurse's um um sort of blurb on the book uh was was it was so good and strong and rich that it i'm pretty sure that's why people took a proper look at it um i don't know and at that plus marks marks um you know salesmanship because he he's championed it uh um since the get-go and i know he's he's worked hard at making people you know asking people to take a good look mm -hmm. so i've been but i've i've been really lucky nonetheless and um and uh 
and and for me it's like the the gift that just keeps on giving it's it's been great and I don't I uh I say yes to everything like getting on the stage with the approximators <laughs> <laughs> because I feel like um uh you know that's what this is not going to happen again so whatever comes along Sheila say yes and I have and I've still got things going into February of next year at, wow. at this point which is which is just great um uh, so it's been it's been really fun. Um, but I can't, you know, I can say that for the um, on the sort of awards side of things, I I'm not sure how much really um, in this in this country, you know, it's it has to have a lot of money attached to it to get mm-hmm. any sort of real um, notice from from um, from the media, for instance. So right. uh, so um, I know when um when I was uh, shortlisted uh, for the for the Governor General's, I got a, a message from their publicist saying, you know, stand by for uh, interview requests uh, on the morning of and so on. And and nobody, nobody, <laughs> there was nothing. It was silence. And I don't know if it, other people on the final on that shortlist got got called. Maybe people who had some, um, you know, some reputation, literary reputation, got a got a call. But I sure didn't. So when I was long listed for Canada Reads and I got a similar message from a publicist saying, stand by, um, I thought it's not going to happen. <laughs> and you know what? It didn't. So um, uh, so even though these things sort of, um, and they are wonderful, listen, I'm not, I'm so thrilled to have been in those places, but they don't make for, um, they don't make for fame. I was recently talking to um, Stuart Ross on, mm-hmm. on this podcast who had just, mm-hmm just won the trillium award um a few months ago or about a month ago and he had made the point too that like as wonderful as it is to win the trillium and and i know this from sort mm-hmm. of secondhand experience because my wife mm-hmm. also won you know uh-huh. six or seven years ago it's a great they give you a check it's great there's a night you get to walk up on stage give a thank you speech and people are delighted but then that's sort of it <laughs> they don't <laughs> send you off on a tour of radio stations and no. TV TV morning chat shows yeah. and things like that. It's kind of, all right, pack yeah. up the chairs, you know, see you next year. <laughs> it's, it does seem odd that it, yeah. there's all that buildup and yeah. then it's sort of like, what? Strange. What, it's strange. Literally it? what happened next? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It seems that the Giller, the Giller is the one and, uh, and yeah. Uh, yeah. Even a long list on the, uh, on the, just sort of appearing on the Giller long list is, can give you some real traction, I think. But, um, but again, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm just, I'm thrilled to have, to have had, had what I've had. Super. And, and the other part of that question in terms of like, how it's in your head in terms of mm-hmm. what you're writing now are you mm-hmm. working on a on a new novel or yeah i'm working on a novel um and uh you know i'm not sure um how much to say about it really but it's very different uh um but i you know it's one of what i, I last december i mean it's quite some time ago now i took a week at the um uh Gibraltar Point Artscape uh oh, yeah. did a did a writing retreat so that that's on Toronto Island um mm-hmm. um and uh which turns out it's the very easiest place to get to from Hamilton on the bus uh, I take the go bus into town and the, and it's a, like a 5 minute walk around the corner to the Toronto to the ferry um mm-hmm. dock 
and then a 12 minute, what is it, 12 minute ride across the water to, to Toronto Island. And then I spent a week at, um, at uh, Artscape just to sort of, I had three projects in mind and I wasn't sure which one I wanted to focus on. And, and happily day one, I, I, uh, I knew what I, what I wanted to do. And I've since written, um, applied for a grant for which I was uh, uh, unsuccessful. Um, but in writing that grant, I had to sort of say, why, why are you the person to write this book? And, uh, and, uh, and, and all of it sort of came out. Uh, it looked to me like I was exactly the right person for, <laughs> for this particular novel. But I, anyway, I'm still <laughs> writing it regardless. I will carry on. Um, but it is, uh, it is, um, it's about climate migrants, but it sort of has a sort of magical realism um, uh, aspect to it. So multiple perspectives that we wouldn't otherwise have. Um, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. I think you may be the first author I've ever heard, ever, who has found the good side of writing a write a, a writing grant <laughs> especially an unsuccessful <laughs> writing grant every author i've ever spoken to including myself uh-huh comes out of that process going ah oh, you know yeah what a truly. pain <laughs> yeah. why do i have to talk about this project that i haven't figured out yet that's right and you that's found right. the silver lining which was I, it helped you focus and helped truly. you find the thread truly. Yeah, help help me. It helped me a great deal. Uh, it didn't help me to the money, but it helped me. <laughs> it helped me sort of. I understand. You know, I thought, oh well, this is in me. This this thing is in me. That's a good sign, right? So you know, you're going to write with a certain amount of energy when it's living in you in that way. When it's been in there for for quite a while, right. I, you know. Um, again, it's not about climate change particularly, but it's but it comes from that that sort of you know that that's what's being done to us at this this mm -hmm. time and so it's a contemporary uh, uh novel and um um yeah yeah sorry i lost my train of thought there well, but it, it reminds me a little bit of the 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 feeling i always get when i see the i'm not sure if it exists anymore but mm -hmm. the relit prize mm -hmm. is this small little literary prize and it's the the tagline for it was always ideas not money because there was yeah. no there was no check at the end <laughs> yes, and i'd always look good. at that and i think well i've got the ideas i'd rather get the money actually <laughs> but yeah failing failing the money let's celebrate the, idea, the ideas the yeah least. absolutely yeah, yeah yeah are you finding as well right now um to the extent that you can talk about this kind mm -hmm. of thing but when you have a success, especially it's a sort of su surprise success, mm -hmm. um, are you getting the sort of, you know, sniffing from agents and editors where you're like, just put me on the list for the next one? Or are they, what nope. what's happening in that? Uh, no, um, Mark, my, again, my editor, Mark Cote, mm -hmm. uh, said, because uh, he, ha he had, um, he, he he loved the book and he thought it was worth you know all sorts of um, all sorts of things uh, some of which have come to pass for sure um, but one of the things he said was all oh, the agents will be you know falling all over themselves and 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 I can say absolutely honestly that has not happened <laughs> uh, that, I, had, I find that surprising I've I had I've had uh, one approach and um, and I'm not sure that I want an agent either now. Um, 
sort of at this at this stage of my life, uh, you know, and having seen, I, I don't know tons of writers. I'm meeting more, which is great in Hamilton, mm-hmm. especially, which is great. Um, but I certainly uh, was in a writers group, which was which was a wonderful writing group in Toronto for a few years, and um, one of our members was discovered while we were while we were all together in that period, and uh, went on to have quite a successful writing career. Um, but the pressure that came with that um, was enormous, and uh, so he went from. Um, uh, he, he was discovered, so he went immediately to the big publishing houses. They sort of bid uh, on his on his work, and he signed, you know, contract to do I don't know how many books, and um, and felt and felt the pressure, and uh, and uh, you know, I don't I don't need I I just don't need that. He he was he was young enough at the time, and uh, and uh, so all of that's that's the sort of price you pay, I think, but. Mm-hmm. I'm not uh, that age, uh, and I and I really just want to enjoy um, uh, enjoy the work and uh, and do the best I can. And um, and then having said that, you know, I guess I, now I now that finding Edward is in the world, and I I get so much great feedback, and I get sort of comments that you know it should be in the school system, and I think well actually yeah it should be in the school system. Mm-hmm. Uh, kids should know about this. All kids should know about this um, black history. I'm referring to here, but also um, it's a it's a story about um, two characters. One of whom is is a young guy. Uh, it's his sort of coming of age year and uh, dealing with uh, the pressures of loneliness and uh, and sort of trying to figure out how he how he can possibly belong to a new culture. And I think so many kids feel that for so many reasons not just because they're immigrants but for a whole host of other reasons so i think i think i think the book's worthwhile in that way for sure and i'd love to see it in the school system so we're all trying to make that happen and um or to you know to invite uh, the the school i'm not sure who makes those decisions in the end school boards maybe but um yeah We've certainly there are I know there are teachers out there who are sort of, you know, who are pushing the book forward, asking people to read it. So we'll see what happens. Um, and it's and I think that's it's harder to get to those places. I'm imagining from a small from a smaller publisher uh, and an unknown an unknown uh, author. Um, it's probably easier coming from a big publishing house. But I don't know. I don't know. At the end of the day, it's it's some of it, again, has to do with luck. The right person reading it at the right time. It's interesting that um, this is sort of a digression, but you know that yeah. these discussions are still necessary and relevant. I mean, uh-huh. I a few years ago I worked uh, with a with a an author, actually an educator, mm-hmm. on a children's book, a nonfiction children's book they were putting together about you know without revealing who this book yes, was. Or yes. it was. It was basically on the theme of the achievements in Canadian mm-hmm. history, big, mm-hmm. big moments. Why, mm-hmm. can, why Canada is so special. Mm-hmm. And I remember going through the rough images that were made by the illustrator and then going to the sections. And one of my comments, and I had to kind of put it as diplomatically as possible is mm-hmm. like, perhaps one of the people here could not be mm-hmm. white, you know, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. perhaps mm-hmm. the page of Canadian heroes mm-hmm. where maybe next to like, Alexander Graham Bell mm-hmm. <laughs> and Wayne Gretzky, you could have one person that's not yes. like the same hero we've been celebrating for the past 50 years. Like, yes, it's interesting that 
as much as you feel the conversation has changed mm -hmm. and it, to such an extent that again, there's this backlash to it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When you dig in, sometimes mm -hmm. it really hasn't. It's yeah. really the same vision of Canada from like 1967. That Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's so true. And I, you know, it was one of my starting points for finding Edward was um, because it has this sort of you know, historical character. I mean, born in the early twenties, um, uh, and sort of I look at his life. Uh, Ed, um, the, what happens in the novel is that Cyril, the young guy, is looking for the sort of history of this this old this someone who at at the time that Cyril is looking would be a quite an old guy, but so born in the early twenties. So there are whole all sorts of reasons why um, these little pieces of Black uh, Canadian history pop up in the book. Um, but my my and and then there are it's, it's not a book uh, particularly about black history. It's not a book particularly about racism. But those things obviously um, have to be uh, a, a part of a part of what's there. And so uh, my starting point was one of them was, um, you know, everything changes and nothing changes. And mm -hmm. uh, and I think but I did start. I did set the book very deliberately in 2012. I mean, in part because that's actually when I started writing it. Oh. Uh, it was around for a long time before it got published. Nobody was interested. <laughs> um, uh, but um, uh, but also because of Black Lives Matter, because I think I think Black Lives Matter have they have pushed uh, uh, through something, and mm -hmm. I don't know that that means change, but it. Uh, uh, on the other hand, I'm very conscious now of, you know, stuff that's going on in the sort of literary scene now. For instance, um, uh, the Toronto Book Award, uh, we are, all of us, uh, there are five five uh, authors there, all are persons of colour, mm -hmm. um, uh, except for one who is, but she's an immigrant I and mean, she's a, you know, um, uh, there are there are six authors altogether because there's a co co-written uh, co-authored book on the list, um, so that's something, and I think that those things are happening because uh, um, certainly in the arts and all across, I'm sure I'm across all sorts of sectors, people have had to take a very good look at who, um, who you know, what they've been doing about. They've been challenged to say what they're doing about this sort of, um, the, you know, having ignored all of uh, these other people for so long. And they've they've had to make a real effort to 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 pay some attention. And that means asking new people to come in and be the jurors, uh, you know, people of color. I'm sure juries have a lot more people of color on them now than they did. Um, but yes, there is a backlash and it's pretty fierce uh, south of the border. And I don't know quite... Um, what might be cooking up here um but again canadians are very quiet do these things very quietly so we may yeah. see we may see something i don't i haven't i mean i haven't looked in that direction at all but um yeah i do i do think something has shifted and i'm not sure how easily it could just be kind of lost again but ha i say that and look what happened to the united states of america when they had a black president and the next thing they had was a backlash Yes. So, so things yes. can can the pendulum swings both ways, right? In in my hopeful moments or optimistic moments, which are not as plentiful as they should be, but I try to believe that it's like the last thrashings of a wounded animal. Mm. You know, this is an animal that you know. Speaking of the, meaning the backlash, yeah. this yeah. is yeah. 
the wounded Collect- collectively it's yeah. it's it's thrashing out it's very mm-hmm. dangerous it can mm-hmm. cause a lot of damage mm-hmm. but its time is limited it's mm-hmm. going to wear itself out and it's going mm-hmm. to die out i don't know whether that's you know well-founded optimism or if that's mm-hmm. just naivety but sometimes it, it does feel like just we know we're becoming irrelevant Mm -hmm. So we're going to strike, lash out in the most aggressive way we can. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. we just have to sort of live through the, the lashing back, knowing that they're going to fade. These people are, are, are losing their numbers, losing their influence. Yeah. Yeah. There's another generation coming that, that thinks of these things differently. I think, I hope, Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know. And at the same time, I can acknowledge how it's tough to be. I have older white writer friends and uh and uh you know when you can't check those you, you're sort of looking the box for the bottom yeah on the grant applications <laughs> the boxes you can check you know to say mm-hmm. why why are you why are you the person to tell the story and uh, and what perspective you're bringing that's needed you know and uh and sometimes that's hard to do and it's terribly frustrating when you've worked hard done really great work Absolutely. And, and and don't get noticed and um so I don't know. It's a uh, it's complex. It's complicated. But you, um, but something has to break before stuff gets mended. You've got to break what's there, and uh, you know, and <laughs> history happens. Hopefully, it's history. <laughs> I just have one more question for you. That's, yeah, that's a little bit left field from all of the you know the, the yeah. heavy heavy discussions we've been having. <laughs> we have, haven't we? Yeah. Uh, I found a quote in a paragraph or in an interview that you mm-hmm. did. Mm-hmm. And I noted it because you mentioned a book that I am a huge fan of, but okay. doesn't feel like it gets the love that it should. Uh-huh. You did say that you, one of your literary ambitions is I'd like one day to write a paragraph that is as good as any page of Marilyn Robinson's home. Oh yeah. That First gives me all, goosebumps when you well, say that. <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a, book that I adore yeah first of all why home and mm-hmm. second question are you getting close <laughs> I don't know uh I'm not sure what it is about her work um because there are other books I mean in that series and Lila and um uh and Jack is Jack I think um there's something so raw and honest about what she says in her through her characters it's um it's a visceral thing and it's so quiet Mm -hmm. and they are for the most part so ordinary it's almost uh, uncomfortable sometimes to read Marilyn Robinson yeah exactly I agree with that absolutely quite uncomfortable unsettling because it's an insight. It's a set of, she hasn't, she has insights that, uh, you know, that's, we're human beings. We're all human beings. And I think all of us are carrying, you know, she sees us, right? She sees, mm-hmm. right? It's right so soulful. Into our it's souls. very soulful. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. You almost, you almost read her sometimes thinking like, oh, I want more like devices and yeah. wit and something to kind of pull me back, pull, you yeah. know, put a little bit of a shield between this yeah. raw soulfulness yeah yeah no she's amazing she's but that's amazing. what you're there for and yeah. do you feel you're getting close do you feel you're, uh, you're, you're... I, I would love to get to a paragraph <laughs> that is anywhere 
as good as anything she's written. I would love to get there. Someone else will have to tell me that. <laughs> All right. You'll have but to I, wait. But for, I, maybe but Mark Cote will tell you. Yeah, maybe he will. <laughs> I've talked to him about Marilyn Robinson. Maybe he will. Yeah. No, she's Absolutely. wonderful. Mm-hmm. And and I will hold you to your promise to get back on stage. <laughs> I'm going to do it. I, and it's going to be a new song. And, yeah. uh, and you know, I was listening to Starman, David Bowie's Starman. The other oh, day. wow. What a great song this is. I mean, again, that was my, you know, my coming of age. Uh, yeah. Um, but I think it's a little too complicated. I'm going to have to find some super duper easy scar. Well, that's what we'll go for. Okay. <laughs> Having had this conversation, <laughs> we'll go for that. So I'll be, I'll be, uh, I'll be on the lookout. I'll let you know. <laughs> I will say t- Tide is High has been on our list forever and we've, okay. we've never been able to quite pull it off. So if you're the person to nail it, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> nail it is, a, <laughs> that's a highly unlikely, <laughs> but I could go up there and smile my way through the noise. What Happened Next is produced and edited by me. The music playing under my voice is by the great Alex Lukashevsky, who is letting me use it for free. You can find more of Alex's music at alukashevsky.bandcamp.com. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. There will be a new episode every Monday. Please buy more books, and not just new ones.